Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. How many of you guys know what this is right here? I'm going to pull this out of my pocket. Anybody recognize what this is? Nothing in my mind can make your heart skip a beat more than holding one of these in your hand. When you're in grade school, when you're in middle school and you fold up one of these notes, you guys remember these? Come on. You fold up the little note, you pour your heart out on paper. You hold it in your pocket all day long. It's probably a little bit wet with sweat, if you're honest. And by the time you work up enough courage to take it to that person who's caught your attention and pass it over, you're putting your heart out there. You're opening yourself up. You're becoming vulnerable. I mean, you're laying it all out. There's no turning back at that point. And how many of you have ever opened yourself up like that? made yourself completely vulnerable, put your heart out on the line only to have it just being trampled all over. Someone that you trusted wrongs you. And see, here's the thing as we're going through this series called Seasons of Suffering, it's ironic that sometimes the most suffering that we endure is at the hands of the people that are the closest to us. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at some stories throughout the scripture of people who suffered because their loved ones wronged them in some way, but we're going to see how they responded and how the word of God can challenge us to respond in these same similar circumstances. In the book of Genesis, we come across a man by the name of Joseph, and Joseph was his father's favorite son. Those of you who have siblings, you understand the one I'm talking about, the one that kind of you know, gets all of the attention, the one that can't do any wrong, the overachiever. You know, the kids up there, I would be talking about the try-hard, right? Those of you who don't know what that is, a try-hard is someone who tries too hard, right? They're, they're the try-hard. They, they can't do anything wrong. That was Joseph in the eyes of his father, Jacob, or Israel. He could do no wrong. And all of the other brothers knew that Joseph could do no wrong. Jacob made for Joseph this incredible robe that just was filled with so many different colors. And it was like a magnifying glass that was shining on Joseph that, look, this is my favorite son. He's got the special outfit even, right? And so the other brothers disdained him. They despised him. They were jealous in their hearts. And so one day when Jacob sent Joseph to go check on the brothers, the brothers said, you know what? We're tired of this. Dad always gives Joseph all the best stuff. Dad loves Joseph more than the rest of us. It's time we get rid of Joseph. And so they devise a scheme. They throw Joseph into a pit to leave him for dead. But on the way back home, they come across some Midianites. And they say, why should we just leave Joseph for dead? We might as well make a little bit of money off of this. And so they sell Joseph, their brother, into slavery. He ends up being sold into the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. And in Potiphar's household, Joseph becomes very powerful and prominent in this household. He oversees all of the rest of the servants. 
he's second only to Potiphar in Potiphar's household. Potiphar didn't withhold anything from Joseph's care. The only thing he withheld from Joseph was his own wife. But Potiphar's wife had an eye for Joseph. He was a good-looking young man, strong. His appearance was favorable. And so Potiphar's wife wanted more than anything to have a relationship with Joseph behind Potiphar's back. And Joseph said, far be it from me. How could I do this? How could I sin against God? But also, how could I sin against Potiphar? He's entrusted everything to me except for you. You're the one thing that he says I can't have. So how could I possibly do this to him? But one day in such lust, Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph by his robe, by his cloak, and says, you must lie with me. I demand that you sleep with me. Joseph leaves the cloak in her hands, runs out of the building, runs out of the home, and she comes out holding the cloak. Look, he tried to rape me. He tried to rape me. And so Joseph gets thrown into prison, into a pit. Even in that pit, God is working in Joseph's life. God is doing something. And Joseph rises to the ranks of the head prisoner. He's helping basically watch over the rest of the prisoners. And one day, Pharaoh's cupbearer gets thrown into the prison with him. And there in the prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer, the one who kind of tasted all of Pharaoh's foods to make sure nothing was poisoned, there in the prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer has this dream. And in this dream, he's troubled by it because he doesn't understand what it means. And so he explains this dream to Joseph. And Joseph says, let me tell you what the dream means. In three days, Pharaoh's going to come looking for you. And you're going to be back in Pharaoh's home, caring for Pharaoh, watching over Pharaoh's needs once more. All that I ask is when you go back to Pharaoh's home is that you remember me here in prison. Two long years passed, and Joseph waits, and he waits, and he waits in prison. Imagine just for a moment the kind of disappointment that this would be. For Joseph, his brothers, those that he's closest with, his own flesh and blood, take him, sell him into slavery in that place as a slave, even though God was there working with him. Even though things seemed like they were going well, he ends up being cast into a prison and he's rotting in prison waiting for something to happen. Imagine what kind of bitterness could grow within him. Imagine what kind of hatred and anger can grow within a heart when someone has wronged you to that degree, when someone has stabbed you in the back like that. But this disappointment that he feels in that moment, just put yourself in his shoes has someone ever wronged you that way? Do you feel that kind of bitterness and anger and disappointment towards someone even right now? We're going to come back to Joseph's story in just a little bit. But to begin with, I'm going to look at the story of David and Saul. Now, Saul was king over Israel. He was anointed king over Israel, but he neglected his duties very often, especially in the case of a huge Philistine who came to do battle, Goliath by name. Saul was so afraid, was he, to go and do battle with Goliath that he allowed a little boy in his teenage years named David to go and to fight his battles. And so David steps up to the plate. David is filled with faith. David believes that my God is bigger than any giant standing across from me. So it's not about my size. It's about the size of the God whom I serve. And he goes and he takes Goliath's head 
and brings it and lays it before Saul and goes and battles and wages Saul's wars on Saul's behalf. But because of it, Saul grows jealous. The women in the kingdom seeing, wow, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, David has slain tens of thousands. One day, Saul has his spear in his hand, and David is there singing, and he takes the spear, and he thrusts the spear in David's direction, and David barely escapes, and he goes back out to the field of battle. He goes back out to where the wars are being fought, where the king should be fighting, and there in that place, David grows stronger, and Saul grows weaker because of the jealousy and envy that is inside the heart of Saul. Maybe you relate to one of those in that story. Maybe you're the one who's jealous or envious, or maybe you feel like someone is jealous or envious of you. But this is what happens when your heart is in that place, when you're relating with someone in the degrees of jealousy and envy. Proverbs chapter 6 says this, for jealousy makes a man furious. The word furious means mad with jealousy. That you're out of your mind. You're not even thinking straight. You're not even thinking properly. That you're so blinded by your jealousy that it's all that you can see. The scripture says this in Proverbs chapter 14. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. That you start to decay from the inside out. When you're jealous or bitter or angry like that towards someone, when that envy takes over, you begin to rot from the inside out. Your bones rot and waste away. That's what envy and jealousy does, and that's the place where Saul was at. Now, for those of you who don't know the whole story, Saul happened to also be the father-in-law of David. Now, think about that just for a moment. And now, for some of you in the room, you're thinking, now this whole story makes sense. It's the in-laws. Now I get the suffering, right? This is someone that David fought for. This is someone that David was faithful to. This is someone that David had been devoted to. This is someone who David stood up for. And even when Saul was trying to take his life, David still defended Saul. And he said, how can I ever come against the Lord's anointed? I trust that God is at work here, David would say. I'm not going to try to take these matters into my own hands. God is doing something. That's the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to let the Lord do what he needs to do in the life of that person. Do you know how the Apostle Paul would put it in Romans 12? He would put it like this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Do you have to take matters into your own hands? Do you have to pursue that person that's jealous over you? Or can you just do what David did and step back and say, I'm going to give this over to the Lord. I'm going to release this to the Lord. I'm not going to allow this to rot me from the inside out the way it's rotting them from the inside out. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Verse 20 says, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says, not only with your enemy, not only with that person that's jealous over you, don't try to take vengeance into your own hands. Trust the Lord. But even more than that, when they treat you with evil, when they treat you with contempt, you return it with blessings. You return it with service. You return it with love. You go over above and beyond what your call would be. Do not be overcome with evil. But how can you overcome that evil? 
you overcome evil by doing good. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. When that person is speaking evil of you, when that person is jealous, when that person is envious, instead of having anger build up in your heart, instead of being furious with them in your spirit, what if you started praying over them? What if you started praying blessings over them? What if you actually truly wanted God's blessings in their life? How would that change your heart in the situation? How might that change their heart in the situation? If you took God's word at what it says to return blessings for cursings. That's the kind of Christian life I want to live. Jesus said if your enemy slaps you on the cheek, you roll up your fist and you beat him across the face and you make him bloody and bruised. Is that what the scripture says? If your enemy slaps you on the cheek, turn your other cheek as well. If they sue you for your cloak, give them your undershirt as well. Just give above and beyond. It's not worth it. It's not worth that seed of bitterness to grow in you, though they hate you, though they try to ram you through with the spear, though they do whatever they can to take your life, to ruin your reputation, to drag your name through the mud. It's not worth it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's on the throne. He will take care of it if you trust him. Listen to what 1 Peter also says in chapter 2. It says, for to this you've been called, listen, because Christ also suffered for you. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Jesus suffered horrifically on a cross. And what the apostle Peter says is he suffered in part to leave an example for you to show you how you might follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When they spit in his face, he didn't spit back. When they whipped him across his back, he didn't pick up that whip and whip them back. When they beat him across his face, he did not do the same in return. When they plucked his beard, he did not do the same in return. When they pierced him to a cross, he suffered in silence, believing that God was watching and that God is just and that God will come to his defense one day. He wasn't eaten up by bitterness and envy and jealousy and anger he trusted that God was on the throne and that God was at work. The scripture says he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What does it mean to entrust yourself? It means to take your situation and your hardship and those feelings that that person feels towards you and that persecution that you're dealing with and to say, I'm going to bring all of this. And instead of trying to do this on my own, I'm going to trust this to God. I'm going to trust that he sees this suffering. I'm going to trust that he sees this hardship. I'm going to trust that he will see me through this trial. Jesus suffered trusting himself to God as an example for you and I. Moses is another amazing testimony of someone who trusted themselves to the work of God in their lives. Here's Moses being basically stabbed in the back by his brother and his sister by Aaron and by Miriam and they're upset that Moses has taken for himself a wife that isn't an Israelite and so they begin to murmur and to speak 
terrible things about Moses behind his back. This happens so often in church, doesn't it? It happens so often in church leadership. People watch from a distance. They see what's happening in the life of church leaders, and they speak evil about church leaders behind their back, assuming they know everything that's inside that person's heart. And the scripture says that when this began to happen, they said, is Moses really the only person that can speak on behalf of God to the people of Israel? Doesn't God speak through us too? And so they were devising a plan to make themselves the ones who would lead the people of Israel. But the scripture says that Moses was a meek man and that he was a patient man. And what God did is God struck Miriam with leprosy, cankers all over her body, because she spoke out against God's anointed leader. Now think about this just for a moment. Moses didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't take matters into his own hands. The scripture only says Moses was meek. He was humble. He didn't think about himself first. He let this play out. He let the Lord come to his defense. And the Lord spoke on his behalf. And how many of you understand that it's more effective when the Lord speaks on your behalf than when you have to defend yourself? How many of you want the Lord to defend you in the situation that you're in rather than have your own voice have to be the one that tries to defend? Listen to what the scripture says, Psalm chapter 20. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I cannot fight a spiritual battle in the flesh. I cannot trust in chariots when only the hand of God can deliver me. It makes no sense. To go to war in the flesh when the battle is being waged in the spirit. And so the psalmist says, that's not me. I'm not going to trust in the chariots of men. I'm not going to trust in tanks. I'm not going to trust in air force carriers. I'm going to trust in the Lord my God in his name and in his name alone. And some of you this morning need to take note. You need to be that one that says, I'm going to trust in the Lord because he's just and he will judge. Now, Saul and David are not the only ones who had this kind of a relationship. Who There was this disappointment that came in. And again, David's disappointment just hanging over his head and just, man, this is someone that I love. This is my father-in-law. This is my king. This is someone I've been devoted to who stabbed me in the back. There's a story of a couple of fathers in the scripture that maybe you can relate to this morning. They were leaders in Israel, priests. In the life of Israel. These were the men that led the children of Israel into the presence of God. These were the men that taught the children of Israel how to worship. These were the men that taught the children of God God's word. These were those guys, yet their own children, their own sons. It didn't matter that they were anointed and that they led the people of Israel. Their own sons in their own homes walked away from the Lord. What disappointment would that be? The book of 1 Samuel, we read the story of a man by the name of Eli who had two sons. And Eli was a man who loved the Lord. But his two sons were wicked. The scripture actually says they were worthless. Those worthless sons of Eli. The scripture says that when people came to worship, that these two priests would stop the worshipers before they could come to the tabernacle. They would stop them with their sacrifices in hand, and they said, wait, before you go to sacrifice to the Lord, let us take the portion of the sacrifice that we want to barbecue for ourselves tonight for dinner. 
And the, the people would reply, wait, wait, wait. This is something that I brought for God. This is my best. This is the, the choice of my flock. I've brought this to offer this to the Lord as a form of worship, as a form of sacrifice. And they would reply, if you don't give it to us, we will take it by force. So they were standing at the gate of the tabernacle before the people could come to worship and offer up their sacrifices and they were robbing the Lord of the sacrifice and robbing the people of the blessing of bringing that sacrifice. The scripture also says of these two sons of Eli that they would wait at the gate of the tabernacle and they would seduce the women. Woman after woman after woman, Eli kept hearing stories. How can this possibly happen? What is it that you're doing? Why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing this to the Lord? And so this is what it says. Now, Eli was very old. He kept hearing all the things his sons were doing in Israel, how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, how can you do this? Haven't I taught you better than this? Haven't you watched me live a life in service to God? Haven't I taught you in our home? Haven't I been an example to you? How is it that you can turn away from the Lord? How is it you can make a mockery of God in service to God like this? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Can you relate to that kind of disappointment this morning? As a parent, you've done all you can to bring your children into God's presence, and they still choose the world over the Lord. Listen to me. It is your responsibility as a parent to equip your children to be ready to make the decision to follow after Jesus. But at the end of the day, it is their decision and their decision alone. God will not allow their free will to be violated. So you have to do whatever you can to prepare them for the day when that decision needs to be made. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God's word has to be on your lips all of the time. You have to be trickling God's word into their hearts all of the time, continually. Whenever there's an opportunity, whenever there's an open door, that you snatch that opportunity and you share truth with them. The world is trying to share such garbage and such lies with them. You have to step in and share the truth. If you won't, who will? The disappointment of watching your child walk away. There's another Man, we already spoke about him once. His name was Aaron, the first priest over the Israelites. Aaron, his two sons, got drunk, went in to offer sacrifices before the Lord while they were drunk. And the scripture says that God sent fire down from heaven to consume them. Because they weren't able to distinguish between what was holy and what was common. Listen, if your children are not ready to confess the Lord, fire is waiting. And you have a responsibility to share truth with them. Listen to what the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 22. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's no wonder that our children are confused. And we sit here with a feeling of disappointment because our children have walked away. But what have we been teaching them in our homes? 
It's no wonder that they're confused about priorities when we hire tutors and we hire coaches and we hire music instructors to do all of these things in their life, but then we kind of cast the truth of the scripture by the wayside. We make their studies and their grades and their extracurricular activities so important, but we neglect church in their lives. How can we be surprised when they walk away from the Lord? We have to take this calling seriously. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.